Hello, and welcome to another episode of the SRUC podcast. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Jane Glass, Dr. Brekia van Velen, and Dr. Anna Vuen about a knowledge network they started as a part of a project with the Scottish Government Arctic Connections Fund. My name is Alexa Green, and I am a research associate with the Rural Policy Centre at SRUC. I'm also working alongside Anna on this project. This project brings together female researchers, policymakers, and community practitioners from across Scotland, Sweden, Norway, and Canada to share knowledge about how best to support rural women during the transition to net zero in the Arctic region. Jane is a researcher in the Natural Resources and Sustainable Development Department at Uppsala University. She previously worked as a researcher with the Rural Policy Centre, and her research focuses on land use governance, policy, and decision-making. She has specific interests in partnership working, rural community resilience, and land reform. Brekia is an associate senior lecturer in the Center for Sustainability Studies at Lund University. She researches how low-carbon transition pathways emerge and evolve, and how they can be implemented in a way that is democratic and fair. Anna is a research fellow with the Rural Policy Center at Scotland's Rural College. Her research focuses on regional development, migration, and policy. I'm really grateful to speak with you all today. Jane and Brekia, I'd love to know where you got this idea for this project, and particularly, how did you recognize that there was a knowledge gap in this area, and did you have any particular personal connection to the topic before you started? Thanks, Alexa. Um, Well, I guess... Back in 2021, I did a bit of work for the Council of Europe on the future of young people in rural areas across the EU. And in that work, I was looking at a range of challenges and opportunities that young people um, experience, not only if they just they live rurally, but also thinking about how their opportunities might change in the future in more of a green economy. Um, and one thing that came from that work that was really interesting was the increasing role of social enterprises and small businesses in creating new opportunities for young people. And they're also, particularly in Scotland, um, seem to be growing support for these types of initiatives. Um, I was also I also did some work on rural poverty and financial hardship in the UK again. And in that work, we were also noticing that many small rural businesses and initiatives um, are run by women. And and this was highlighting the potential to support women to develop their ideas and businesses further. So when when the Scottish Government announced their new Arctic Connections Fund and that their call for projects, um, I thought it would be really interesting to, to explore these aspects aspects in more detail, um, ideally within a broader network of researchers and, other, and others who are interested in innovation and sort of small-scale entrepreneurship in rural contexts. Um, so when I then moved to Sweden in, in 2021 um, as a visiting researcher in the Department of Earth Sciences at Uppsala University, um, it was great to discuss these ideas a bit more with Brecha and learn more about her work on low carbon transitions and the changes that that's bringing in rural economies. And I would say it was at that point that we thought, you know, it would be really interesting to focus on women living and working within these changing contexts in in the Arctic region. And and we started then together to to build a network of women or invited a network of women to take part in this call um, if we we were successful. Um, Brecha, I don't know if you'd like to add anything to that as well in terms of your connections um, to the topic. Yeah, I think maybe just to to sort of bring out that that dimension a bit more of sort of why did we decide um maybe to focus on on women and the gender perspective especially here. And 
I think for me, most of, of the research that I have done to date as a researcher, both in Scotland and in Sweden, uh, focuses on energy transitions, uh, both in terms of how places are impacted by the phase out of fossil fuels, but also how uh, especially rural communities are developing alternatives, for example, through local energy systems in the Scottish Highlands, for example. And I think in both of these aspects of my research, uh, what's, what's come up quite a bit is how much we sort of um, center uh, both male jobs when it comes to the phase out of fossil fuels. You know, we very much think about oil workers, coal workers, engineers, these kinds of industries that are primarily or, or that are largely male dominated industries. And therefore, when we're thinking about a just transition and what that might mean, we're often thinking about these kinds of jobs. Um, but also when looking at local energy initiatives, what became evident is that these are also often driven uh, by male volunteers, either because they might have a, a technical or engineering background that's that's relevant um, or for other reasons, um, they often take on these more organizing roles when it comes to energy projects in their communities. Um, but when I was doing fieldwork in Canada, it, it really showed to me the sort of multiple ways in which women uh, are impacted, but also the roles that they can play in, in sort of social enterprise or alternative organizations. And I can talk a bit more about that um, later. But I think for me, uh, that sort of brought to the fore this interest in, well, you know, can we sort of unpack this a little bit more in terms of how rural communities are impacted, but also how they can play a leading role in a sort of transition to a net zero economy? And what's, um, what does that look like when we look at these distinctions, uh, such as gender, for example? Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I, it's really nice to hear the story because it sounds like there's such a personal connection there for you both. And it also seems like we're on the cutting edge, so to speak, with this kind of research, since it's a fairly new and niche field. So I wanted to ask, did you envision that this topic would be so popular and that you would get so many women interested in participating in this knowledge network? Well, thanks, Alexa. I, th I think we were both really delighted to have such a positive response when we sort of asked people whether they would be interested in taking part if, if, if our, our bid was successful. Um, and we, we sort of started with our Sort of personal contacts that we knew within some universities in uh, Norway, in Sweden, in Scotland, and also in Canada. Um, but then we sort of had this snowball effect, I guess, of people then said, oh, we'd love to join, but actually, have you thought of speaking to someone else? And, and we, we managed to get that initial list up to around 20 or 30 uh, female researchers, uh, policymakers, uh, practitioners, and other professionals who were quite keen um, to hear more. And I think as, as the as you say, um, it's definitely an area of work that needs more investigation. So there was definitely a sense of those who were keen to join that this sounded like something really interesting, relevant and timely, um, but didn't necessarily, the people who were keen to take part didn't necessarily have concrete examples of exactly things that they wanted to talk to us about, but they knew that this was a, a really strong direction of travel that they were keen to, to learn more about and talk to us about. I think um, just to offer sort of an additional explanation, I think, as to why people might have been so interested in this is exactly as Jane and, and you said as well, is that it's a sort of underexplored area, but that there are lots of 
people working sort of around the edges of this theme. So we have people interested in sort of rural development. We have people interested in sort of net zero transitions. Um, we have people who are interested in sort of gender dynamics and um, particular forms of development. Um, and I think what we perhaps managed to do within this network is bring all these different themes together into um, a sort of, if not quite cohesive whole, but at least something with a core to it that's slightly new for everyone. And I think that plus the fact that it's it's such an international group and that, you know, enabling of sharing international experiences um, is, I think, uh, what's what's got people really interested in this to learn more about, well, what is actually happening in other places as well and what can we learn from that? Yeah, thank you. And I think that that's great that you've touched on this aspect of the different themes that are emerging around this topic. As you said, there's so many areas of relevant research happening on the periphery, which feed into this topic. So I was wondering if there are any new or interesting themes which may have emerged from that first meeting with the Knowledge Network members. Yes, I think um, we had quite a strong focus from one of our presenters in the first meeting, um, Elsa Clark from Inspiralba. And uh, she really told us a lot more about the sort of Scottish uh, social enterprise scene, I guess, and what's happening in Scotland right now uh, with, with those types of organisations. And I think it was really um, exciting to explore some of the examples of initiatives in Scotland that are developing new business opportunities with that sort of um, social and economic, uh, so, sorry, social and environmental benefits at, at their core. Um, and what Elsa told us, and I, I think I knew this, but found it really good to, to hear this again was that more than a third of Scotland's social enterprises are in rural communities and 71% of those are led by women. Um, so, so it really was um, making it clear that, that our work was going to be very, very relevant. Um, but it, it was also, I think, exciting to explore this ongoing theme, which I think emerged some of, from some of the previous work I mentioned I've been involved with as well, that often these types of businesses are, are quite small and very micro with a small turnover. But with that came maybe more of the unexpected theme here was the potential to learn from and explore the different styles of leadership that these um, organisations are, are under if they're under female leadership and, and more sort of collective approaches uh, to, to ownership and to, to management. And Elsa, for example, she, she told us about some really interesting projects going on in Scotland at the moment, um, Fine Futures on the Isle of Bute, for example, looking at running vehicles on biofuel and using waste oil from tourism businesses, a local car club, thinking about local food produce and how that can be um, grown and, and distributed locally uh, as well. And this is an example of, of a social enterprise run by a woman. So some reflections on how that, that organization is run in practice. So I think it was great for us um, at the time, you know, I'm working at Scotland's Rural College to be able to share some of these insights with that international network that, that Brecker was talking about. And it was a good chance to, to think about some of the, the qualities and opportunities that women can bring to um, the management of, of these types of, of organizations. Um, but maybe maybe pass over to you, Brecca, because you, you come at it at the time being based in Sweden as well at the first meeting from a slightly different perspective. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think one of the things that stood out for me in that first meeting um, was the, 
the sort of limitation, perhaps, of the discussions that currently exist around a just transition and the need for good jobs um, as part of that transition. And I think what that meeting highlighted for me was really the, the need to better understand how these jobs that are part of the, the green economy um, fit with people's lives, uh, but also perhaps where people meet, need um, more support in their lives in order to take advantage of economic opportunities that the transition to net zero might bring. Um, so, for example, I think it was in, in this first meeting that one of our participants from uh, the Scottish Highlands highlighted the barriers that she saw in terms of taking advantage of what are often considered to be sort of good jobs, so stable, full-time employment that's well paid. And, you know, she said, especially in rural areas, these can often be in sort of male-dominated industries, whether they're uh, in the energy sector or in the forestry sector, for example. And, you know, that there can be a sort of cultural barrier there to women's entry and the sort of worry of not belonging uh, within that industry or that work culture. Um, but what she also highlighted were, you know, these other barriers that exist to taking on such jobs, um, which are often, you know, perceived to be quite good jobs. Um, for example, a lack of availability of affordable childcare. Um, you know, that means that uh, women might not be able to take advantage for of economic opportunities that come up. Um, or the economic cost of, of running two cars in you know, a rural area that's not served or well served by public transport. Um, so for me, what that first meeting highlighted was um, you know, to need, a need to look further and sort of how we might address this. So first of all, what, you know, what does a good job sort of look like or what should it look like? For example, should it include more flexible working opportunities so people can fit it around childcare? Um, or we might ask the sort of opposite question of, you know, what opportunities are there for system change? So for offering more affordable childcare in rural areas, for example, that allows people to more easily take advantage um, of jobs that might be created in their area. And I think this is a really interesting example of perhaps where the sort of international aspect uh, is really useful as well to, to get a sense of, well, how are these issues um, either apparent or being solved uh, in different countries? So coming back to that international perspective, I wanted to turn to Breke because you spoke at that first meeting about some of the issues that come from decarbonizing our energy grid, particularly looking at examples of towns with extractive legacies in a Canadian context. So I was wondering if you could please recap that research for us a bit. And also, I'm curious as to whether you see a similar trend happening in rural Scandinavian or Scottish contexts. Um, yeah, so first of all, to, to sort of briefly recap um, what I talked about during that first meeting, um, there's partly some insights from a, a research project that I'm currently working on that looks at, well, the phase out of fossil fuels and what that means uh, for communities in, in different countries. So I've been doing some, some case study work in Canada, but also in Scotland. And the work that I presented at this meeting was some of the findings from the research I did in Canada, um, which focused on sort of how women are impacted 
as a result of the phase out um, of fossil fuels in rural Alberta, which is, um, or particularly the part where I was very much a sort of, you know, coal-dominated energy sector until quite recently, until the provincial government decided to phase out the use of, of coal. So now there are these coal communities sort of grappling with the question of what do we do next? And I think what that research in Alberta showed, but also some some broader findings from Canada, is that women are broadly impacted in sort of two key ways. First of all, they're sort of directly impacted as workers, uh, but they can also be indirectly impacted when industries change or disappear. And I think this direct impact of women um, also takes uh, a couple of different forms. Firstly, um, especially in the coal industry in, in, in Canada, um, there are not as many women who work um, in these sectors, first of all, but also the jobs that do exist within these sectors are highly gendered. So, for example, in mining, uh, very few women work on the extraction or the production side or end um, of the, the sort of supply chain or the sector, uh, but they're much more likely to work in sort of administrative roles, HR, finance, for example. Um, so the jobs within these industries um, are gendered. And in particularly, for example, what happened in Alberta was when the decision was made to phase out um, the use of coal in the energy sector is that the provincial government set up a number of support programs for workers affected. Um, but these support programs are more often aimed at those who work directly in sort of extraction or in a power plant, for example. So there is a sense there that there's perhaps less support available for the types of roles uh, that women hold within these industries. Um, so that's one way in which women are impacted. But also more locally, that means, you know, if, if some of the, the men who are working in these industries lose their jobs, they will look for other work locally and be, are maybe uh, more directly uh, in competition with women who might also look for work locally. So there's a, a couple of different ways in which women are impacted directly, uh, but also indirectly, of course, there's a huge impact when suddenly someone's, you know, when your partner loses their job, for example. So often, you know, a lot of these households uh, where often one spouse works in the coal industry, they're often one income households. So when the partner there loses their job, suddenly that means uh, a complete loss of income, but also a loss of, of, of status or meaning in someone's life potentially. So there's a, a big impact on family uh, dynamics there. So those are a number of the ways that I talked about that women are impacted um, by energy transitions in, in Canada. And then your question, you know, how does that apply uh, to other places. And I think we don't know enough yet about the extent to which this is also true for other places. I think, you know, especially when we think about Sweden, it's often sort of, you know, pointed out as a, a country of sort of high levels of gender equality. And indeed, in the mining sector in Sweden, you do find, um, you know, quite a number of women working in mines, for example. But uh, I don't have the exact statistics there for you in terms of how that compares to other places. Um, but one sort of interesting point potentially for a Swedish context is that um, most households in Sweden, you know, when there are 
um, when there are two people households or with um, more or more than two people households, is that usually all adults in the house are have uh, or work or work often full time roles as well. Um, so there is perhaps less of a, a, a prevalence of one income household where there's a risk of the only um, person who's earning an income losing their jobs and that household being left without an income. Uh, but that still raises the question, well, but what does happen if one spouse loses their job, for example? Because it means that either the remaining spouse will have to become the sole provider for the family for the time being, or it might make it also more difficult for the family to move somewhere else, for example, to look for alternative employment because that other uh, partner or the other spouse still has a job locally. So the exact dynamics of this process might look a bit different um, in Sweden or in different countries, depending on the nature of household, the makeup of households economically as well as socially. Uh, but I think this is one key area uh, where we just don't know quite enough yet in terms of what this looks like in different places. Thank you, Breke, for giving us a recap of that research and highlighting the potential connections. I think you're right in saying that this is an area for further research and potentially a focus of this group, this knowledge network, could be exploring those linkages and similarities. But Jane, I just wanted to come back to you to see if you wanted to come in on anything that Breke has said, considering your research and Thanks. Background. I think the only the only thing I would say is that we, we have in other work seen this this model of you know the rural household facing challenges when one person loses an income or if an income that is quite volatile or seasonal then it is lost as well um uh, the, the work i mentioned at the start that we've done recently on rural poverty and uh, and sort of the experiences that people have is that rural uh, incomes are very volatile and often partners or will work you know maybe one or two jobs they can be seasonal they can be on zero hours contracts so that that family unit that household unit can be quite disproportionately affected by a change in income uh, in terms of the sustainability of that family income so in this context of um, net zero and, and low carbon transitions as well thinking about how those shifts in the, the rural labor market will affect households is definitely something I think that that needs a bit more a bit more work and a bit more thinking about. That's great. Thank you so much, Jane. Um, so now I just want to come to Anna. So now that you're leading this project, where would you like to see it go? So I would like to see it flourish and engage more women of different backgrounds into the network and process. We're already started. Um, so we already have some new members. We're already doing that. And each one of the members brought in their skills, knowledge and experiences, which is an invaluable contribution for our network. As we know, women are... Uh, major contributor to rural dynamics and landscapes, and they bring in uh, and sustain a range of different social activities, whether they're paid or unpaid. So, and generally hold multiple, sometimes, sometimes even overlapping roles in these landscapes. So considering their contribution and their multiple roles, I would like to see um, a more research geared towards exploration of their capacities of that potential in rural landscapes and especially as we're kind of heading towards net zero initiatives and activities and we have net zero ambitions in Scotland I would like to see alternative economies being explored and I feel like women could be a great part of that so this network and this project could serve as a wonderful 
not just background, but the framework for building on that. Thanks so much, Anna. I'd like to close on a final question for all of our speakers, which is, what are you hoping to see come out of this knowledge network? Yeah, I think as well, um, going back to thinking about this this fund that we applied to from Scottish government, you know, in the Arctic Connections framework that the government's working with, I think it would be fantastic from this bit of work to, to take some inspiration and ideas from the examples that we're finding in the different countries and, and then sitting back and thinking about how those could be applied in the Scottish context. Um, we know there's an, already a lot of innovation happening in, in rural areas in Scotland, whether that's through social enterprise, through you know, community ownership, lots of different models um, in which women are very heavily involved. Um, so I think just to see some additional learning uh, and ideas flowing from our work in, into that already vibrant scene would, would, be, um, would be very important. Um, that's a very good question. I think, first of all, um, I think one of the, the main, the real values for me in this network is this opportunity to connect to other women, whether they're researchers, practitioners, policymakers in different countries. Um, so I think that also gives the network a life beyond um, you know, just the, the period for which it's funded in terms of I have a much better sense now if I have questions in the future about, you know, what does a particular situation look like in different countries, for example, you know, like what you just asked me about in terms of, you know, how does this, um, you know, situation that you've observed in Canada, how does that play out in other places? I now feel like I have other people that I can go to with these questions in terms of learning or better understanding um, how these how these processes are playing out um, in different places. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, this idea of, of applying what works in one place and simply transferring that to someone to somewhere else um, is often not as easy as we'd like it to be, the sort of transferring of lessons. Uh, but I think the network is a, a really useful place to start thinking about, well, what are the lessons that we have from different countries? And then to use that as a starting point to think through, well, but how can we apply those potentially to other places? So it's really that international learning. I think that for me, um, is one of the key values of the network. And I hope that some of those lessons will be of practical use um, to both researchers and practitioners in some of the different countries that are represented in the network. So I'm hoping to see in the future, basically to take this into the field work, because that's my forte personally. And also I would like to see this transferred to Scottish soil, because I feel there is a lot to work with in Scotland, not only with Scottish women, Scottish entrepreneurs, but also with Scottish rural communities. Considering the Scottish government is very ambitious, it has very ambitious goals towards net zero, and that's approaching pretty quickly. Um, there is a need for this type of research, and there is a need for exploration of different economies, alternative economies, different participants and stakeholders in these processes, and just the exploration of how can we do it in the, I wouldn't say necessarily the fastest, but the most feasible way. And I feel like women could be catalysts of that change or that shift. Um, unfortunately, women are usually overseen during these processes. 
And as we can see from other uh, from other examples, for example, what Brekia mentioned uh, previously, we can see that there are some direct and indirect impacts on women, but rarely they're acknowledged um, in literature or in practice. And additionally, on top of that, when we're talking about women in the global north, we can see that there is far less research on them in comparison to female rural entrepreneurs in global south, which has been explored through different venues like crowdsourcing, support engagement, um, their position in the society, the barriers that prevent them from participating in these processes. These barriers still exist for women in global north, but I feel like they've been kind of under-researched and there is still a lot of um, areas we can tap into because this is, in a way, a cutting-edge research because we're combining rural female entrepreneurship and net-zero initiatives, which are still kind of abstract topics if we're thinking about how do we define entrepreneurship nowadays in comparison to um, previous um, eras and how what is, does it mean in rural context? Because obviously the urban and rural entrepreneurial activities will not look the same. And if we look at different processes, barriers, stakeholders um, in rural context, we can see that they are very different from the urban context. So obviously creating strategies um, for entrepreneurs that should be applicable to rural and urban settings won't really work or be um, transferable as we would like them to see. Some of the examples um, from rural Sweden indicate that if the strategies are developed in rural contexts by rural population, they are fairly transferable to urban contexts, but not vice versa. And I think that that type of knowledge is something we can utilize for this type of research and this type of uh, these types of projects. That's great. Thank you so much, Jane, Brekia, and Anna for joining us today. We're really excited to see what comes out of this knowledge network. And on behalf of Anna and I, we're really looking forward to continuing this research and to sharing this podcast with our knowledge network. SRUC's Rural Policy Centre is a knowledge hub for rural Scotland. We engage and collaborate with researchers, businesses, and communities to share the latest knowledge with policymakers in Scotland. We hope you enjoyed listening today. 